everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another special episode of Make Ours Marvel we call the Marvel Mailbag. This is our ninth Make Ours Marvel Mailbag, where we sit back, relax, and just sort of read all of the letters that y'all have been sending us. And I have to say, some of you have really bad handwriting. Um, <laughs> you never took cursive in school and it shows. And I don't appreciate when you send with not enough postage, because... Then we have to pay for the rest of it. But And the one time I didn't have the money on me, the, the letter guy stayed in my house. Yeah. Until he had earned enough money in rent. Another so, 49 cents. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a day. Um, so actually, at my rent prices, it's less than that. But anyways, so we're here to look at your um, your letters, your, your Facebook um, messages, your comments on the website. Uh, your iTunes reviews, got a couple of those, and Woo-hoo. we've been backed up, so we're kind of trying to catch up a little bit, which means we're we're turning back the <laughs> clock like eight months, dude. <laughs> and our brains. Yes. we got to do more of these. I think there's going to be a lot of, what are they talking about comments again? But Well, it's only been a little bit since the last one we did, so hopefully we're not too far behind. Yes. I have All the right. covers open so I can remind myself what's going on. Hopefully. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. That's why I podcast with you. All I'm right. not saying it's going to work, mind you, but at least we can try. Well, we are picking up in October of 2019 and the days before the uh, the COVID. <laughs> Whatever is just outside skipping and holding hands and breathing on each other. Like, like fools. Grandma, is it true you guys used to breathe on each other? Right. Yes, Timmy. Okay, um, first one short. Do you want to do the short one or should I do the short one? Uh, go ahead. This one's from Sean Urbanski, and I'm like, you and I have occasionally tossed around the idea of fundraising, uh, tip jar, whatever, and so a Patreon. We're like, well, what kinds of incentives can we do for Patreon? So Sean has some ideas. He says, a Patreon idea. Each month, discuss a few of your favorite panels. This is mm-hmm. my first read through the Ditko Spider-Man and second through 60s Fantastic Four. Would love to hear your thoughts on some of this awesome work. Looking forward to your take on issue 22 of Amazing Spider-Man. Yes, I'm reading ahead. Thanks, guys. I really enjoy the podcast. Sean. He's probably like done with Amazing Spider-Man by now. Yeah, we're way past 22 <laughs> now. Um, I don't know. If we get at least $500 a month, I would do it. It's The thing is... <laughs> I, mean, I like to think we produce a good show, but we uh-huh. do this as low rent as possible. And uh-huh. the idea of making more content for Patreon is is hard. There's that. I also don't like the idea of feeling obligated in a way. Like, I don't mind doing the show. It's fun and it's free and, you know, you get what you get. We try and make it good and we hope it's enjoyable. But it's like if people are paying me now, it's like, oh, man, I got to care more or something. If we ever did fundraising, it would be like a... Here is a place to put in money if you wish. That's probably the, the extent of it, yeah. Yeah, if you if you want to offset the, the the server costs or whatever, which Mike takes care of for the show. Um, uh, if you just yeah. want to buy our next pair of Super Mario Levi's jeans that I'm too fat to wear. Um, you know, those kinds of things. Hey, if we just like asked everybody that downloads our show to donate like a dollar a month, we'd have at least $5.85. So that would right? be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so how many people do we have listening? I haven't looked at the numbers in a while. Uh, it's usually around 
Well, it's hard to say because I don't really understand how to read those numbers, but it's always like three, three fifty, four hundred eventually. Well, that's pretty good. I don't know. That's pretty good. Yeah, but is, is that people actually listening or people clicking or how does that work? I don't know. I don't know. I like to think it's listeners. Like if we have three or four hundred listeners, I'm happy. That's pretty great. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, so next message is Steve uses steroids or yes from. John Morrissey. I thought you were reading like a junk mail because Steve uses steroids. On October 4th. Much love to John Morrissey, but that title. (laughs) Hello, kind sirs. All I can say is make mine Michael. Yes, yes, I agree. Sorry, John, but I'm with Michael on the classic quality of the theme songs from the 1960s Marvel cartoons. You got a lot of flack on that. I I did. I I came around on some of them. I think you got attacked on Twitter a little bit over that. It's okay. I I survived. (laughs) I love them all. Of course, I first heard them in 1966 when I was six years of age, so I might be just a bit subjectively nostalgic. By the way, if you've never seen the composer of the 1966 Marvel superhero theme song, Jack Urbant, Urbant, perform his creation as he intended them to be played, then here is the URL. I guess I should put that in the notes on this episode. Yeah, and he, I, I, I watched some of this. I watched him do the yeah. Hulk show. Uh-huh. Song and that was that was a hoot. Yeah, I watched this too when I when we first got this email. It was pretty interesting. Uh, timeless classic. Until Tony Stark makes you feel that he gets belted by gamma rays when Captain America throws his mighty shield. Hey, that actually rhymed. Make ours marvel. <laughs> no, the um, the songs are fun. Uh, I uh-huh. think it's just like there aren't a whole lot of them that feel like I don't know. I mean, I, it's not something I would turn on and jam to in the car or anything, but mm-hmm. they're hokey and they remind me of those uh, those cartoons that I used to, you know, obsess over. So in they, that sense, I like them. They do succeed at all having a different feel to them. Like, uh-huh. you know, Cats America is a Sousa march, um, but they're not all like that. And no. they have a different feel. And so you can, even not just recognizing the song, but you know you're at a different show for each day of the week. Mm-hmm. We should talk about if or how we're going to discuss those shows, if we even care to, like on a, a, a Not Comics when we get to September 66. I don't know if we want to do that or not. That would be interesting, but they're just so ripped from the comic. It's almost like just repeating ourselves, isn't it? I don't know. A I haven't seen them in a long time. We could talk about differences or just like weirdnesses that pop out. The Namor series is largely mm-hmm. original cartoons. Okay. Uh, because there aren't that many more stories yet. Yeah, so they were just making stuff up. Mm-hmm. Hulk is Hulk is a weird continuity order. They just pulled his stories in all sorts of different places all over the place. Oh, then we'd have to relive the Hulk again, though. It's a mixture of his pre- and post-Avengers. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so thank you, John. They are pretty good songs. I don't hate them as much as I did. <laughs> um, Tim Price, All New Giant Man. Um, I'm just sketch, sketch, skipping through the junk mail. Okay. Um, what is your all new giant mandated? October 5th. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I've got that on the website. Okay. So. Oh, sorry. Yes. That's a website. This one's mine, right? Yep. Thor 113. The issue ends with Thor losing his powers after 30 seconds. Boy, that was a long 30 seconds. I bet his five minute fight with the Hulk was shorter. But I mustn't forget, Thor's got time powers, so he probably done time stuff, so he and Gargoyle could fight because time stuff. I wouldn't put it past him. Maybe. Yeah. But does Don Blake think he's powerless now? 
or does his doctor sense tell him that he can still become Thor? And why is it always the lame Dr. Donald Blank? Does everyone have to rub it in that he's lame? <laughs> oh, wait, it's probably on his TV ads. If you want a doctor who cares, come see me, lame Dr. Donald Blank. But I just have a bad leg. I'm not a bad doctor. Really? <laughs> I was just thinking, like, uh, they don't do that anymore, but then I realized that's because we don't have Donald Blake anymore. No, it's true. It's true. And it's the same like, scripter. So you know that Stanley would throw in lame Donald Blake if you if totally. could. We've had, like, one panel of him lately. And he has gotten ripped over the years. Remember that first issue where he looked like he was, like, a walking uh-huh. skeleton? Yep. And his face looked kind of, like, long and dopey. And, and to got, this day, we still don't know what lame is. No. Evidently, he has a bad leg because he needs a walking stick because uh-huh. he found the walking stick in the cave and forgot his at home, so he grabbed it. Yeah. But then there was that one artist that made his head gigantic and his whole body really skinny, and then we started wondering if it's more than just a limpy leg. What if like his whole body is horrible or something? Mm. Yeah, like he's actually got a weak constitution or something. Or he's got a crooked spine, or who the heck knows what lame could mean. It could, could be really anything. Be not. Also, I was just randomly thinking, does he have to be careful when he's walking with his walking stick? Like yeah. how hard he taps the ground? <laughs> if he trips over a frog and uh-huh. he he hits that walking stick really hard, does he turn into Thor? Yeah. Like in the middle of the restaurant? Or you could argue it's intention, but then there was that issue where Hyde hit it. And it turned Donald Blake to Thor. So I didn't have intention. He didn't know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really weird. It's kind of bizarre how all those rules work with Thor. I don't get it. You know, someone might be tempted to suggest that superhero comic books are simply inconsistent. Mm -hmm. But they would be fools. Right. Not in the 60s. No. Um, Tim continues. Tales to Astonish 65. Banner captured by the Ruskies. This story was really great. The Hulk turning back into Banner underwater was a twist, for sure. And the sub rescuing him actually makes things worse for Banner. I'm looking forward to where this goes next. That was like, I vaguely remember that. That's around the leader stuff, isn't it? It was sort of like a vacation from the leader. Yeah. Like the leader was in communication with the Soviets, but they had Banner and... That's right. leader wanted him back, but he wasn't as front stage as he had been. Yeah. I think that was just before... um, just before Talbot came after him. Uh-huh. I've become more understanding that nobody's connecting Banner and the Hulk. Why should they? It's not like Banner could take off his glasses and put on a costume to be the Hulk. Changing shape is not a well-known phenomenon by this time in the Marvel Universe. That the beings that do it, Thor, Hulk, and Mr. Hyde, have all kept it under wraps. At least that's my take on it. Makes sense to me. I mean, unless you catch him with ripped purple pants in the middle of the desert. Right. Which I don't think anybody's done except maybe Betty. Suspecting that they're connected, yes. Suspecting yeah. they're the same person, I agree that that wouldn't pop and in anyone's head. That's funny that he he sort of uh, slammed on Superman because that was a post-crisis conceit of John Byrne's revamp was that no one would even assume that Superman has another identity. Why mm-hmm. connect the two? You know, because superheroes aren't a thing. I guess. Well, one something. of the early issues of Superman has a text piece in it, a text Superman story. And um, it describes his like physical carriage and how like mm-hmm. as Clark, he just kind of doesn't carry himself very well. And when he turns mm-hmm. into Superman, he, he has a very different physical comportment. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the glasses. Also, side note, 
many people have seen through the glasses many, many times. It's yeah. just that he always finds a way to fool them again. Mm-hmm. But um, in fact, I'm in the 70s where Lois is like, yeah, I used to think that he was Superman all the time, but every time I thought it was, they proved me wrong. So what am I going to do now? So give it up. Yeah. Yep. Tim continues, the new giant man. I really didn't dig this story at first. Hank looks like a complete screw up, not a superhero. But after your discussion, I get it. We're seeing original Hank Pym that shrunk himself into an anthill. With that mindset, the story's awesome. Thanks for setting me straight, guys. Until Dr. Pym defeats his supervillain by shrinking a crack in the ground, make mine make ours marvel. That was the last good Ant-Man story, if I remember correctly. I think it might have been, yeah. At least that I liked. So far, he's coming back, or he is back in our He's reading, coming back in the Avengers. Well, he's back in Namor right now. But he's yes. not making a good show of it. But I don't think we're going to get to the next Ant-Man solo series. Mm. It's in one of the Marvel like Marvel feature, Marvel premiere or something in the early 70s. Yeah, yeah it's a ways away. That's a ways away. He's going to be a Goliath for a while, I think. Yep. And then, uh, it's, and then a uh, yellow jacket. Oh, yeah. Um, episode 78, also Tim Price? Or is there something else? Uh, yes, that's what I've got. Tales of Suspense, Cap's Origin. And your name shall be Bucky. LOL, that was great. Uh, Bucky barging into Steve's tent. Could I borrow your... And never finishes that sentence. What could he have wanted to borrow? Helmet, cologne, hair gel, magazine? My imagination is failing me. Um, um, I don't know, but you know, you figure an army, barracks, there's probably like lots of shortages of things and borrowing things. I don't know. Can I borrow your... Porn mags? Dirty magazines, yeah. <laughs> we That's what I went Because <laughs> Steve would have those, right? <laughs> Um, I agree, Michael. The Adventures of Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, was a fantastic retelling of Caps and Bucky's origin. When you said two and a half issues were great, that's right in line with how much was drawn by Kevin McGuire of Justice League International fame. Fabian Nisissa was at his writing height at this time, too. Love to reread it. That could be part of the problem with it, is the art suddenly changed for the much worse, which mm-hmm. always ruins things for me. But. I also think the story just went in a bonkers direction eventually. But the original, the first couple issues where they're just talking about how he gets selected and goes through the whole rebirth process was pretty awesome. Nisiesa. Nisiesa. Yeah, there you go. Um, maybe Iron that, Man. Oh, no, I was going to say, ahead. maybe that Captain America miniseries could be on the docket for uh, episode 200. Yeah, that'd be fun. It definitely gives you more information than what we've read. Yeah. Uh, Iron Man. I can't remember. Did you notice that he has a Tony tingle. My built-in radar type detector is beginning to tingle. Now I'm giggling like I'm 12. I think we did notice because at the same time, also Daredevil started having like evil tingle senses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Spider-Man has, of course, his tingle. So like all of a sudden it was like this popular thing to be able to tingle about stuff. We had just seen the movie and so we were all giggling. Uh-huh. Uh, Avengers number 13, Count Nefaria leads the Magia? Magia? Magia. Magia. Until I was a teenager, I legit thought the Magia was a real thing, not just a Marvel thing, but it's not like we had the internet back then to look stuff up, and the school encyclopedias didn't have much info on organized crime. Ah, my misspent youth. So they say Magia instead of Mafia, but they do say Yakuza, which is the the Japanese organized crime. So I don't know why they didn't change that name or why they felt like they had to change Mafia. Maybe it's because... The Maggio was originated in the 1960s Marvel, and they brought in the Yakuza like way down the line and didn't care. Um, but still, or the or the Yakuza doesn't have a United States base, so they can't 
be. Oh, they can't come after you. Attacked? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe probably they didn't care. Probably they cared more though. Um, I picture Nefarious sounding like the Count, and he makes much more sense. One, one trapped Avenger. Two, two trapped Avengers. Three, three trapped Avengers. Ah, ah, ah! Lightning flash. Um. <laughs> uh, Getting closer and closer to Magic 100 until it's revealed that Bucky was trained before Captain America. Make my, make ours marvel. <gasps> Perish the thought. I want to talk about that too, but. Do you have opinions on that? Really, I have so much opinion on that, but that's like not really the, the, the era we're focusing on. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got Bobby Bermea far from home. Yeah. Bobby says, I know John doesn't like to not like the movies. <laughs> oh, this is a good one. I wish you guys would have had somebody speak up for those of us who didn't like Far From Home. You mentioned at one point something along the lines of, at least they kept the essence of Spider-Man. Not an exact quote. And for myself, I felt like that's exactly what they didn't do. Should we address this overall point before we get into a separate points? Or should we? You want to you know what's hilarious? What's that? is I believe we specifically picked our host because he liked it. And normally right. we don't normally we don't do that. Normally we don't ask ahead of time whether they like something or not. Mm-hmm. But in this case we were just so like high on this movie, we just wanted to have fun talking about it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember why we did that, but we did that for just this movie, which is and, funny. And you know, as from our X-Men coverage, we don't always like the movies. And even if we do like them, we can still like kind of tear them apart a bit. Um, I, I think one of the benefits to having Sarah on those episodes is she's less shy about totally pulling the wool off of the eyes of people watching the movie. You can like this movie, uh-huh. but it also has some significant flaws. Um, but as far as Far yeah. From Home, we just, you know, we just wanted to geek out about it. And Sarah was still just our X-Men person at that point. We didn't have Sarah. It was some, it was, um. Yeah, yeah, we hit somebody else because Sarah was just doing our X-Men movies with us. So we got... Oh, right. That was Ethan with us on that one, right? It's Ethan, yeah. Um, So as far as getting people who represent the camp of not liking the movie, I don't Uh think that's... I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I don't think that coming to a microphone to talk about why you don't like something is a quality goal. That's a good point. Certainly it's not the kind of party I like to go to. This isn't like, what's that show where they used to have point-counterpoint or whatever like that? Mm -hmm. Like, we're not necessarily shooting for that. Also, I think I bring plenty of negativity to this show when it comes to talking about these movies sometimes. So we don't necessarily have to seek out somebody who has that position, because I'll bring it. Uh, (laughs) In this case, I didn't, but a lot of times I don't like these movies. We might sit out to watch a movie and see how we react, and then sometimes that's negative. Uh But... We didn't set up. We set up the the plan to watch that movie and and, and record and review it because it was the new movie, yeah. and we got somebody who liked Spider Man. Um, I think we totally cheated on this one. Normally, like I said, we don't. I have no idea what the guest is going to think about something. Um, in this case, I just remember like we purposely sought Ethan out because we knew he was excited about it, and we wanted to talk to him about his excitement. So it's kind of funny that we're being called out on just this one. Yeah. So maybe maybe it was obvious that we just like stacked the deck in our favor but but oh so, well we had so fun let's see what bobby did not like about the film he says i feel okay. like this could have been called spider-man pretty in pink or spider-man 16 candles with all the teenage hijinks and the goofy relationships between ned and betty well i think i think the isn't that spider-man <laughs> yeah <laughs> isn't ultimate spider-man all about spider-man pretty in pink <laughs> 
or just the Spider-Man we're watching. Right. Or we're, we're reading. The 60s stuff is very high school and teenage hijinks and stuff. I don't and know. Aunt May and Happy Hogan, what was that about? Okay, Aunt May and Dr. Octopus, what was that about? Yeah. Aunt May and J. Jonah well, Jameson's a, father, what was that about? This is not an 80-year-old Aunt May, so. No, no, she's of, not. Kind of, kind of different relationship goals, maybe. I remember when Tony Stark first admitted he was Iron Man in the first Iron Man movie, and that felt like an intelligent, intentional deviation from the comic in order for, to facilitate storytelling. I loved it. It had also been done in the comics, in the Ultimate Comics at that point. But this attractive Aunt May having a relationship with somebody she just never had a relationship with felt like an undermining of the essence of Spider-Man just to push him further into rom-com territory. I do think our, we had criticism on the fact that she had less to do in this movie. And that was like the only thing she had to do was to kind of have a on-again, off-again relationship with Happy, which That's, may or may not went up anywhere. Yeah. I mean, you cast someone like Marissa Tomei as Aunt May. Okay, uh, yes, you're making a choice to de-age Aunt May. At the same time, Aunt May being so super old is always a really, really, really weird aspect of Peter Parker's background. Uh-huh. Um, you got to give her something to do. And she had more to do in this yeah. one than she had in the first one. No, I don't know if that's true. I think the first one she was involved in his life. In this one, he left town. So what is she going to do, right? No, I mean, <laughs> She's so not she was, like involved in the film more. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I felt like that was the one... Kind of because you know, remember how the first one ended with her finding his out of secret, and it's like, oh, this is really going to play out into something, and then it kind of didn't. That was like the only, yeah, down downside to Far From Home, in my opinion, was like that they didn't put enough energy into her. But maybe we'll get more next movie. I don't know. We didn't see any of the any of the connective tissue, any of the immediate after effects of her finding out he's Spider Man. No, and other than talking about his spider tingle, they didn't really even interact that much. Aunt May's endless heart attacks used to drive me nuts, but they served a purpose. They kept Peter Parker from an entirely healthy life. He was always trying to make up for his crime he committed against the person he was closest to. It kept Peter and Spider-Man isolated, a loner. If she's off having healthy relationships and Peter's off having healthy relationships, the character becomes something very different. Um, but she has had healthy relationships in the comics. She's had her friendship with Anna. She got engaged to Nathan Lebinsky. She dated Willie Lumpkin. She married John Jameson. I mean, ever, I mean, ever since she moved out of that initial Forest Hills house, she's had lots of healthy relationships. So I'm not sure. I think the whole Peter Parker, Uncle Ben thing is like one of the negatives that a lot of people pull from these MCU Spider-Man movies, though. I don't personally have a problem with it, but like they really want him to just be crying about that all the time for some as, reason. As somebody who has lost half of his family to violence, I mean, you got to move on. Well, and even in the comics, like, as we've been covering them, he's he just recently had, like, his first flashback of Uncle Ben's head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that wh- that's, like, what, 20-something comics in? Yeah. So we're, so, we're past 30. Yeah, so it's like he doesn't think about it all the time. It's just occasionally, but it's, like, so powerful moments that we think that he thinks about it all the time. So I don't know. And, hey, this movie had a suitcase from Uncle Ben, so that was something. Yeah, yeah. Further, the pivotal moment in Peter's life, the driving force, is no longer the death of Uncle Ben, but the death of Tony Stark. The whole Tony Stark as mentor thing, again, changes the whole dynamic of the character. Peter Parker learned how to be Spider-Man on his own. He quit numerous times out of failure and frustration, being overwhelmed by all the responsibility of being a superhero and a troubled and happy person, and he couldn't turn to Aunt May. Uh, I think we discussed that already. I remember. but I, I just had a thought. Okay. So, Uncle Ben... Uh-huh. A, like we just said, Uncle Ben's a background element. They didn't uh-huh. cover the origin in the story. Everyone knows the origin. Yeah. 
They didn't rehash uh-huh. Uncle Ben because they didn't need to rehash Uncle Ben. But you know uh-huh. what is a driving point in comic book Spider-Man's life? Huh. The death of Gwen Stacy. Yeah. That changes the character. And that becomes his pivotal moment. And uh-huh. for a lot of his life, the death of Gwen Stacy means more to him than the death of Uncle Ben. Because it's right. more immediate. And he was there. And he yeah. was there. So, I mean, Tony Stark is not a romantic relationship as far as we know. But the idea that that death would have a really big impact on his life, more so than Uncle Ben, more closely than Uncle Ben, to me that seems, I mean, it's the same storytelling device with a different person. And they're taking that from the comics because that happened in both Civil War and in Ultimate Spider-Man, I believe. I don't know about the Tony Stark and and Ultimate Spider-Man. Okay, but at least Civil War for a time... When he was trying to keep him on his side anyway, he was taking him under his wing. So mm-hmm. they got that idea from comics. And I just, I think we said this in the podcast then, and I'll say it again now. It just kind of makes sense to me. One, he was Spider-Man before Tony found him. So it's not like Tony made Spider-Man. And two, like if you're a kid, especially if you have no father figure and you're a superhero and there are other superheroes out there in the world, like wouldn't you look up to one of them as as a as an example? Mm-hmm. You know? I don't know. It just seemed... It seemed um, like a smart way to go to me, but I don't know. I guess it changed the character completely, so I'm wrong. (laughs) All the gadgets and everything and the city-destroying monsters, if you stare with a thousand CGI drones, none of that is what made Spider-Man cool. (sighs) No, it makes a pretty cool movie. Dang, yes. Mysterio, man. That was so cool. All that stuff. It makes Mysterio a cool villain, which Mysterio is a cool idea, but it works in a comic book. You gotta you gotta take that idea Whoa. and do something with it visually to make yeah. a movie. Yeah, it was. I lost you there, Mike. I think you backed away from your mic. Oh, can you hear me? You're Hello. quiet. Did you knock something? You can't hear me at all. There you are. Oh, what'd weird. you just do? Nothing. Maybe your it connection. Hic- it was a hiccup. Okay, so that's 28 minutes. I'm gonna cut some of that out. Were you talking or was I talking? But yeah, Mysterio like come to life on the big screen. I thought they did an excellent job with that. Yeah, it was fun. That was not about making Spider-Man cool. That was about making Mysterio a cool, incredible villain. Yeah. And I dug it. Mm-hmm. And the stuff with Tony, I mean, you have the mentor stuff comes from the comics. Uh-huh. Tony dying, that's the story they're telling with Tony. Tony's yeah. and Peter's, like, that having an, asp- ever f- an impact on Spider-Man's life, that is a result of the natural storytelling of the, of the film franchise they've taken. So, uh-huh. I mean, it seems real to me. Yeah. Spider-Man has always been the most powerful of the street-level heroes. In Fantastic Four 243, he sat out the fight between the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, and Galactus because he would just get in the way. But no one ever doubted that he was a genuine badass. Some of the recent issues you all have talked about, the fights with Kraven, with Scorpion, were really dramatic and exciting. They would have made great movies. The Tablet Saga, which is issues 68 through 77 of Amazing, which I'm very excited for you all to get to in a couple of years, and yes, you'll be doing this podcast, (laughs) would make a fantastic movie. In the current mode of the MCU, that story would be too small for the big screen. Yes, I agree. In 2020 superhero films, those stories are too small for the big screen. These films have decided that everything has to be louder and more bombastic. The Avengers can be, sure. The Fantastic Four, even if they could get a different movie, but not Spider-Man. Hmm. Well, it's, you know, the difference between comics and movies is comics come out monthly. Yep. And movies come out once every two, five, ten years. So you have to make a big splash. Like, if you're looking for more down-to-earth Spider-Man, then maybe they should make a, you know, Disney Plus Spider-Man TV show or something. Where he can just have street-level problems and be street-level... 
I don't know. Like all the Spider-Man movies were pretty big, even the Raimi stuff and the whatever in between, the Garfield stuff. Um. So then he says, I lost my place. Spider-Man's my favorite hero. There it is. Spider-Man's my favorite hero always was. And man, I thought the Far From Home movie just left him behind. Rose going to have to get used to the movies just being their own thing apart from the Bronze and Silver Age comics. Apart from the comics this podcast is about, but they'll be lesser for it. I personally would love for them to get back to the essence of Spider-Man. But I'll have to wait until the next reboot at least. So I'm wondering if he thinks any of them are the essence. Like, does he like the, uh, why can't I remember his name? Who's the, who's the Raimi Spider-Man? Uh, Toby McGuire. Can I, does he like McGuire? Does he like Garfield? TV show? Cartoon? I mean, the, the, the first McGuire film does capture Silver Age Spider-Man. Like Pretty the much. classic Spider-Man setup. No, because he has natural web, so it doesn't show off how smart he is. So That's true. His, his essence is lost. Um, Anne May in that really film looks that. like she has walked off the page. <laughs> yes, yes, they did that. Mm-hmm. Who? Oh, Sally Fields was the Garfield Aunt May, huh? So right, right. Getting younger. I liked her as Aunt mm-hmm. May. I really did. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and the thing is, Silver and Bronze Age comics are not the only comics. Taking ideas from lots of different places can help make storytelling fun. Um. I think, you know, it's the MCU and they're really into tying everybody together and always referencing everything. And there's a lot less standalone now. Mm-hmm. Initially, when these first movies came out, it was a lot of standalone. But now it's all tied together. I'm wondering if that'll bite them in the butt later that you can't have a Spider-Man movie without referencing the Avengers or something. Or are they going to try and like taper away from that a little bit? And now that Endgame is over and this big epic thing is over and they're going to have all these TV shows, maybe they're going to try and give everybody their own space to do their own thing. We'll see. But I don't mind the tying together either. I've been enjoying it. I don't know. The sentence he had about all the gadgets and everything reminded me of Horizon Labs and the sort of, you know, slot and post-slot Spider-Man where he Mm -hmm. gets the chance to actually be a competent scientist, Mm. which, you know, you just mentioned the organic webs and how he doesn't get to show off how smart he is. That web shooter gadget for 50 years was lauded as this amazing invention. How did you do this at age 15? And mm-hmm. then finally in modern comics, it gets to actually be a scientist who makes inventions. And yeah. they're using that in the current cartoon. The current cartoon of Spider-Man hasn't been high school, but Horizon Labs is a magnet school. So he's mm. able to do sciencey stuff, you know, on a special course in that school. So they're able to blend both worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I'd be very curious, Bobby, if you have watched the current Spider-Man cartoon and what you think of it. Because I feel like it captures a lot of the feel of early Spider-Man, but in a setting made up of more modern Spider-Man concepts. Like, I feel like that it's the tone of the 60s, but the setting of the modern stuff. So I'm just curious to see if you've watched it much and what you think of it. I didn't even know there was a current Spider-Man cartoon. It's called Marvel's Spider-Man. And... um it's wow. pretty fun. It has Miles Morales, Gwen Stacy. What? Uh, it has, um, what's the Spider Girl's name? Um, Spider Gwen? Oh. Anya Corazon, maybe? I don't know okay. the character that was. I don't very much for the Hispanic Spider Girl. I don't know. Um, but yeah, and he goes to a charter school, Horizon Labs. So his redheaded mustache boss from the comics is his like faculty advisor person in the cartoon because he's in a high school. Hmm. But they do some really cool stuff with it. Cool. But anyways, that was a lot on one email. Yep. Oh, he's and he's back again with uh, Captain Marvel clarification, or is there something else between that? 
yeah, that sounds good to me. Hey, Michael. Uh-oh. When I bonded with you over not liking Captain Marvel, it wasn't because I agree with the dorks who had a problem with their gender. I think they're idiots. I just didn't like the movie because I didn't think it was done well. And as I think I said, I don't think Brie Larson is a particularly powerful or charismatic actress. I also don't like that the character seems to be turning into Marvel's Superman because I despise Superman, the ultimate Mary Sue. I I don't know about the Superman part, but I, I do agree with the rest, and hopefully that's how I came across because I really hate when I have the same opinion as a group of people that I think are horrible, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't because hey, she am, was a woman. I am a release the Snyder cut person uh-huh. who constantly has to disassociate himself from the hashtag release the Snyder cut people. So right. I get you there. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't find the movie all that fun and I didn't find, I couldn't find her personality or her charisma either, but it's not because she was a woman or anything. Uh, but I think complaints about the character's gender are ridiculous and disingenuous. I bought The Death of Captain Marvel when it first came out. That Captain Marvel remains one of the only prominent heroes to die and stay dead. All these guys who complain now about how much they love the original, another joke from another time, Captain Marvel should have bought more comics back in the day because if he was that popular, he never would have died and or stayed dead in the first place. Maybe. I don't know. Is that why he was killed? Because he Yeah, basically. Bobby? He was killed okay. because they needed somebody to kill, and uh-huh. no one cared about Captain Marvel. Okay. And then it becomes one of the greatest deaths ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't saying I didn't like it because they made Captain Marvel a woman. I didn't like the quality of the work. Yep. Right there with you. It's just kind of ho-hum to me. But The only thing I'm going to say that, and I'm uh-huh. not saying that either you or, or Bobby is guilty of this, uh-huh. but that that said so often, I think some people might want to just sort of self-evaluate. Uh-huh. Are you, is the person who says they don't like Bree's performance holding her up to the same expectations that they would a male actor in the same place? I have no idea. So it's like, is she charismatic? Well, would you expect a man doing the same role to be charismatic? In a different way than what she's doing. Well, I personally thought she was super charismatic, but yeah, it's just I'm just saying. I don't know what. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Charismatic. That's just the that's just the word that he chose. Uh, well, I think that. that's the word I've I've said too, and I don't know if that means if I'm trying to say like I'm not trying to say necessarily that I should be attracted to her or that I should. I don't even know what charismatic necessarily is the right word, but just like you know, there's just some actors that work, and you don't really know why, mm-hmm. especially if they just act the same in every movie so are they even good actors but you just like seeing them again right and then there's other actors some actors like i've said this about james mcavoy for instance like he drives me nuts and i don't know why he just rubs <laughs> me the wrong way i can't he's help gonna it be friggin dream in the audible adaptation of sandman right it's gonna be a groovy endless you know so she kind of drove me nuts too and i haven't seen her in much anything else so it's hard to say if it's just this movie or mm-hmm if she's like that every time I watch her, what else has she been in? I don't know. Oh, um, King Kong. But I totally didn't even remember that she was in King Kong. So that didn't really leave an impression. But I don't remember that either. I know King that she Kong, was so. in a movie, a sort of a, a psych thriller where this one woman disappears and Brie Larson okay. plays like somebody who like took her into her. She's a bit of a dom in that. Uh, very, very big dick energy kind of, kind of a role. Um, I think she, she made her own movie about, some sort of fantasy store or something like that. That actually looked interesting. I wanted to watch it, but yeah. I forgot what it was called. Anyway, I don't know. It's hard to say because the only other movie I've seen her in was Endgame. And as we all know, I didn't love that movie either. And she was hardly in it, which just makes Captain Marvel even more pointless. Anyway. 
Shall I read Bobby's next? Yep. Journey into Mystery 112. Michael, bro, oh. you are not giving up nearly enough love to Journey into Mystery 112, which I believe qualifies as a key issue to collectors and is one of the greatest comics of the Marvel Age of Comics. Which one is 112? Bring it up, because I, I I don't remember. You have to help me out. Uh, okay, go ahead. Keep it's going. not a key it. because it's a first issue oh. or first appearance or has uh-huh. an impactful death. It's a key issue because it's freaking awesome. It's the Hulk versus Thor retelling. Or like, remember that? Oh, yeah. Remember okay. when they flash back to tell us in between right. panel story? Yeah, that one. Now, my view is obviously and shamelessly shaped by the fact that I first read that story when I was like seven in Marvel Treasury Edition 9, Giant Superhero Team-Up, a frankly bizarre title in light of its contents, all superhero fights who don't team up at the end. Okay, I can imagine that that Kirby art on a treasury size is probably pretty dope. Mm-hmm. I can I can see how Bobby might have fallen in love with that as a kid. First of all, the fight is totally one of those that everyone wanted to see. These fights were aimed directly at the hearts of grade school boys who were having these exact same arguments in their classrooms and treehouses. And especially in the Silver Age, this is part of what set Marvel Comics apart from the distinguished competition. Along with the heroes being angry, frustrated, neurotic, crazy, ugly, and all the other things that heroes typically weren't, they got into fights with each other, which we totally wanted to see. Those boys at the beginning of the issue are dead on, except for you know being all white, which none of my crew was. We had those exact arguments and loved them and often immediately played them out in the yard or the playground. That I saw. Like, when I was reading that and they had all the fans talking to Thor, arguing over Thor versus Hulk, I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. these are schoolboy fans. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the fight itself did not disappoint. I did not and do not have the aversion to the fighting and superheroes that you guys have. You guys didn't have much to say about Fantastic 425, which, likewise, is a key issue and still very popular amongst comic nuts and is a hell of an exciting issue. To me, a great fight is not boring, not if it's dramatically and dynamically choreographed and drawn. Kirby fights are always all that, and this one was the first one-on-one between the two Marvel powerhouses. Even if we like a fight scene, we're still probably not going to have a whole lot to say about it. So, yeah, like I don't remember hating on this issue, but apparently I must have. I don't know. I don't remember what I said. But, uh, I mean, growing up, I debated with friends about who would win in a fight all the time too i mean that's just a comic book fan thing to do like i used to run a message or moderate a message boards that was called comic battles and it was all about pitting people against people and hoping no one got too carried away with their arguments you know uh so yeah i do like a good fight although i think now that i'm just older it can't just be a fight it has to be a fight that means something right uh so if there's no drama behind the fight then it's just you know here I'm going to throw people under the bus, maybe, but it's just prequel lightsaber fights versus Empire Strikes Back lightsaber fights. You know, it means yeah, nothing. I can see versus that. Versus it means everything. So I am and looking for that a little bit. We are reading material made for 12 year olds, mm-hmm. and we are reading it from a 40 plus year old perspective. Right. So, like, I think we can agree that a lot of the stuff that we're not necessarily digging on may have appealed to the young reader. But we are who we are, and we have the perspective we have, and that's just kind of what we're doing for the show. And I think we recognize when, you know, first things happen, like Avengers and the Fantastic Four fighting was kind of a big deal. Yeah. It just, there just wasn't anything to say outside of that, really. Yeah, it's like, hey, this is, this is, this is cool, this is happening. Uh-huh. But, you know, it's not my favorite issue of the month. There's <laughs> Fantastic Four annual number whatever, where every single Marvel hero is in it fighting every single Marvel villain. This is really yeah. awesome. 
Avengers yeah. Annual 3. Bobby, did you love Avengers Annual, uh, Fantastic Four Annual 3? Yeah, probably. Um, At, when you're 12, you do. And I've read that before and really enjoyed it. It just was on this particular read that I was like, wow, this is... Um, <laughs> this is just throwing everything on the fire. Well, part of it is that, like, come and get comics now. And I do, like, you know, I do 700 podcasts right now. And I'm always about, like, the drama and the continuity and the character narrative. Uh-huh. And you get something like Fantastic Four Annual 3 and all that stuff goes out the window. Mm-hmm. They're pulling For bad sure. guys out that shouldn't have existed because they were trapped in pocket dimensions. It was you know, a very just, obvious, obvious, I don't know what's the word I'm trying to say. Cash grab? Just pandering to the readers, I guess. Yeah. Let's throw them all in there. So going on with Bobby's email, he says, to take this one to the next level, there is the battle of the personalities of the two protagonists. In these early Marvel days, what set them apart from the other superhero comics was the tension between the classically heroic, such as Thor, and the anti-hero, such as the Hulk, which mirrored that same tension happening in pop culture dynamics in their four-national character. When this comic comes out, we are like two years away from the series, uh, sorry, from the rise of the counterculture. I'm going to say goodnight to my son here on the air. Goodnight, Keenan. My son is going to bed with his wet hair from the shower. Say, um, say goodnight to the audience. Good night. <laughs> and um, so let's see. We're two years away from the rise of counterculture. The Hulk is like a gamma radiated James Dean or Marlon Brando. Love you too. Thor is Lawrence Olivier. The Hulk is the Rolling Stones. The Thor is Frank Sinatra. It never occurred to me that Thor lost the fight, but I get why you might think that. Thor is a more typical hero, but as always, the Hulk makes the larger impression. It was interesting when you all were discussing how every Marvel hero has their Hulk moment, but it's not just about strength. The Hulk raises the bar for everybody else. For a guy who got his own book canceled, it's amazing that A, Marvel seemed to know why they had something in him and stuck with him, and B, he always sold other people's books. Man, I know any time I saw Hulk on a cover, I was snatching that book up. But Hulk is one of those characters who everybody else had to have their moment with. Those metaphors he draws, those parallels with the different car- uh, real-life people are interesting. Any thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Um, no, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> Hulk is definitely a representative of, of uh, the counterculture, though. Right. They, they had a highlight of that in that really cool like Marvel 50 Years mm-hmm. book that came out when Marvel was 50. There was a whole like little sub page about how Hulk became like kind of the symbol for counterculture for a lot of people. It would have been weird to put out a Marvel 50 years book when Marvel was 20. I know, right? Planning ahead. Bobby says, and then, and then I completely forgot that the origin of Loki was in this issue, Michael. How are you going to bag on that, brother? Wow. How much did I hate this issue? I really don't remember hating it that badly, but <laughs> I don't know. The whole, because, uh, oh, in the backup, yeah. The whole origin of Loki appears in Bring on the Bad Guys. And, of course, in the three straight tales of Asgard, commencing with this one, and to my mind, is one of the best stories that ever appears in Tales of Asgard. And it's excellent. And the art is fantastic. I think for not having a lot to do with the actual myth of Loki, it does have a very mythic feel to it. Tales of Asgard is good at that. Yeah, it's very good at that. And I do think that Loki was adopted in Norse mythology and being the son of the loser who lost doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. Being the son of the loser who lost? Um, because he's the, the Storm Giants or Frost Giants' son. Uh-huh. Okay. It bothered me? Okay. I believe you. I don't remember. 
However, I do love you calling out what a jerk Odin is all the time. That I, I remember. Yeah, because he still is. <laughs> I don't think Stan or Jack ever did anything with a whole hell of a lot of thought behind it. They had a month and they were working on multiple comics. Just get it out as fast as you can. So making Odin a jerk was probably, and this is me, uh, not Bobby, making Odin a jerk is probably a shorthand they just went to a lot with maybe mm-hmm. not even realizing how much they were going to it. Mm-hmm. Bobby says, I will say a lot of the plot holes you guys point out are dead on and I just never noticed or cared. But yo, Journey into Mystery 112 is one of the great Silver Age Marvel comics. Recognize. Until you guys can come up with a funny way to sign off. With an actually <laughs> funny way to sign off. Make wow. ours Marvel. Wow. Next. Next. No, I take oh. offense to that. Right? Jeez. I have to think about those. So you must have just like gushed horribly about that issue and I didn't or something? Maybe. I don't know. That doesn't sound right, though. I feel like neither one of us cared that much. But maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I remember not caring about the story. I remember getting to it and be like, wow, this is a whole bunch of whatever. Isn't it like, because like, not only is it taking place between two panels, but like, isn't the, the first move he makes is to like throw his hammer aside and then they kind of wrestle over his hammer for an hour? And, yeah, Something I remember like all that. that. Yeah, he has to call his dad and say, dad, can you turn off the enchantment so I can fight him with fists on fists? Oh, that's right. He wants like a straight up brawl with the Hulk. But then the Hulk's like, oh, the enchantment's off. I can lift the hammer. And then Thor's like, oh, man, I don't want him to break my hammer. So then they fight about the hammer. I don't know. That's all I remember about it. Um, Bobby, like, wrote 17 emails in one day. So he's up next. Okay. All right. So Betty Brandt, ASM number Mm -hmm. 21. One reason Betty and Peter's relationship might be stronger in this issue is because the issue before Spider-Man had just rescued Betty from the Scorpion after getting his butt kicked twice. She might not know he's Spidey, but maybe that made him feel closer to her. So Peter's more drawn to Betty because he's been rescuing her twice, even though she doesn't realize it's he who's rescuing her. P.S. Can't believe you guys didn't know that Lyndon Johnson came after Kennedy. That cracked me up. I'm like, oh, damn. Well, you know, I was born in 1995, so cut me some slack. I think I knew that it was Johnson. I had to think about it. Mm. I wasn't around then. No. Who comes after Johnson? Is it Nixon? Let's not give him more fodder. I don't know. (laughs) I want to say it's Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Carter. Okay. But I don't know that that's the order for certain. Sounds good. Okay. Um, I don't think I'm leaving anybody out. But anyways, yeah. Give people more more gas to make fun of us with. Yep. All right. Um, Back to the website. Tim Price, we ship Dormordo. Yes. Is that me? Yes. Awesome. Uh, this is from Tim Price. Uh, talking about episode 79, we shipped Dormordo. Strange Tales 130. So, the thing is chasing the robbers. The robbers' big escape plan is get on the <laughs> roller coaster. <laughs> I better chase after them. Uh-huh. You could just wait here at the station, but they could jump off anywhere. Right, and break their legs. Then they'll be even easier to catch. But superhero. Yep. That reminds me of the, remember the opening of Casino Royale where he's chasing that guy and they end up like way up high on the rafters or, you know, these the buildings that haven't, these buildings that haven't been built yet, you know? Yeah. And I always just think he could have just like stayed down there maybe and just mm-hmm. waited for the guy to come back down. But, Got to come down eventually. Yep. Wow. Doctor Strange on the run from Mordo and Dormammu. Aside from the goons falling for the old bunch of blankets that look like an old man gag, this is a gripping story. Can't wait for more. <laughs> There's going to be so much more. So, but it had a good start, though. I was going back through our stats for um, 2000. 
um, not 2000, but for 1965. And we really uh, liked the start of the story. Yeah. But this letter came to us in October of 2019 and we are still on this story. Oh my God. You're right. Kind of. It's kind of changed a little bit, but it's still all connected. It's still the Eternity Saga. It starts at one yep. thirty and goes until he leaves at one forty-six. Yep. Oh my gosh, it's been going on so long, and that chase was really long. Yeah, it was. I remember. Anyway, and yes, Strange and Stark only have mustaches for a long time. Beards are for bums, evil twins, and hippies in the sixties. But they're always awesome facial hair bros. Sorry if you don't get that reference. Just Google images it. I do awesome. get that reference. I I got that reference. I don't get um, the aw- awesome facial hair bros. Yeah, they they do that in the comic books. Okay. Um, but then um, um, also it's funny that in Endgame, I think they call Stark a hippie or something. Remember when they're describing these two people they're trying to look for? Because he has a goatee in that movie. Yes. And they travel back to the 50s or the 60s, I guess, wherever they did, to get the pin particles. Right, right. Uh, um, Dad makes a, a comment. Nice, yeah, that was a cute little touch. Fantastic 436, the Baxter building security needs a ton of work, but it made for a pretty intense story, almost suffocating the thing, sending most of the team towards space, Torch having to save the day. Now you know the team's in trouble. But seriously, how terrifying would it be to wake and find yourself floating out of control off the planet? And when I picture a blind person's reaction, like Alicia, yikes, serious case of the willies. Yeah. That was, yeah, definitely intense. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't care much for Medusa's costume. Oh, her co- her first costume in Frightful Four is so terrible. Mm-hmm. She's got that that cowl hood thing that her hair sticks out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's bad. But her first appearance was amazing. Kirby made her look awesome there. Spider-Man. Yeah. Go ahead. Spider-Man 22. It's so hard to take the circus masters of menace crime. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a menace crime. Is that how um, that classic... Uh, hip uh, chick flick of the eighties. The what is it? The I don't know. Fried green magnolias of endearment. <laughs> okay, never heard of that one. <laughs> um, anyways, the circus masters of menace crime can't take them seriously against someone's superpowers. I mean, they're a fun concept, but come on, Spidey can lift a car. It's kind of crazy how often they show up and give heroes a hard time. Daredevil or Captain America would be more realistic opponents, but they keep being used in these mismatches. They did fight Captain America, though, at some mm-hmm. point. With Hawkeye, I think. And they're going to show up at the Avengers wedding. I think we're running out of Circus of Crime appearances, at least in this era. Good. I'm done. Um, the real reason Spidey was stopped by Princess Python, she's wearing green, which oh. is his biggest weakness. True. And who did Spidey try to intimidate at the beginning of the story? Ringmaster, the only one wearing green and purple. Say hello to two more members of Gang Green. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Until the Frightful Four recruit Peter's neighbor to fight Spider-Man and Namor, make mine, make ours Marvel. Because that was the first Frightful story I ever read. Wow. Who is Peter's neighbor? Um, that that mattered. Hmm. Was it I don't Hank know. Ca- Frank Castle? I feel like I haven't read that one yet, but I feel like Tim's been reading comics longer. Hmm. I feel like I should have read that one by now. To fight Spider-Man and Namor, his neighbor. Yeah. Had to Anna be someone. Watson? Someone no? had to be powerful, right? You would think. Right? I don't know. I don't either. We'll get there someday. So Tim Price's sign-off reminded me of Bobby's little jab really about the uh, making my sign-offs funny. And Mm -hmm. I realized I'm not actually aiming to make my sign-offs funny. Mm -hmm. I'm just aiming to make them relevant. Like, figure out some sort of 
continuity point that is relevant to the story. Well, I think they're funny, and I also think your titles that you came up with for our shows are funny too. So I think just Bobby can be wrong a lot, seems like. But, but we love him. But see, I have the power to say that because I have the mic, so ha ha. Uh, <laughs> John Morrissey, may I be your patron? Is that the next one? Uh, yes. Okay. Hello, Michael and John. In a relatively recent episode, you brought up the idea of a patron site for your podcast and then nothing. <laughs> That's why we don't do it. Well, I hope you're still thinking about doing it because I would love to support your flawless podcast in some way until you both realize how talented and appreciated you are. Make mine, make ours marvel. John Morrissey emails us little packets of endorphins. Like, he always mm-hmm. just makes me feel good mm-hmm. when he emails us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just talked about the patron thing, but same same thing. It's never, later. And, and never kind of went anywhere. Maybe it will one day. Yeah. You can also just send checks to Make Ours Marvel at 666 <laughs> 5th Avenue, New York, New York. Yeah, someone will get them. Yeah. I think that used to be Marvel's address. That's what I was going for anyway. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. That's a junk email. That's a junk email. That's a junk email. I have Tim Price, me, Kazar, Eugene. Probably well, at some eight. point. Why don't I delete this crap? I don't know. I don't either. Gosh, it's another one. Oh my gosh. Here we go. Okay, so that's November 19th, and this oh. is 1020. So yeah. Yeah. Make it, me, Kazar, Eugene. Uh-huh. <laughs> Eugene. Okay. <laughs> Eugene. <laughs> like Eugene Flash Thompson? Mm-hmm. All right. So Tim says, X-Men 10. Another interesting example of finally seeing the first appearance of a character I've known about, and boy, not Tarzan, sure has been changed since then. We'll see how fast things evolve to what we know today. Yeah, I, I had I had never read Kazar's origin either, and he did seem different. I've never read much Kazar, like except when he shows up in other people's stuff. Yeah, that's all me too, but when he showed up for me, he was able to speak English, so that made a big difference, I guess. Okay. This is more Tarzan, you know. Right. Um, Okay. I went to another tab. All right. So he says, Thor 114. Did you notice the Thor tingle in this story? I sense deadly menace nearby. My enchanted Uruhammer begins to tingle. It tingles more than ever now. There's danger behind me. Thor tingle is officially a thing. If you experience Thor tingle for more than 30 minutes, consult a goddess of healing and administer golden apples. See? Everybody was tingling that same month or something. Everybody is Thor tingling. (laughs) Iron Man tingling, Daredevil tingling, Spider-Man tingling, Doctor Strange tingling. Everybody's tingling. So what happens if the gray gargoyle touches the absorbing man? The world comes to an end. From my extensive research into comic book science, the results can be any of the following. They both turn human without their powers. Hmm. Okay. They neutralize each other. Yeah. They both turn to stone immobilized. They merge into a single rampaging stone monster. They hold hands and, as new besties, skip to the local soda shop for (sighs) hot fudge sundaes because science. I don't think anything happens to Greg Argoyle because he doesn't, he's not affected by other people. He affects other people, right? Not to be a nerd about this. So he'd be fine regardless. It's really more of what happened. In his first appearances, he was affecting himself. Well, he does, he is able to make himself turn to stone. But when he touches other people, that those people don't affect him, right? But then whenever Absorbing Man absorbs his power, would he absorb the ability to turn Grey Gargoyle into stone? That I don't know. Would he just turn to stone like all the other victims of Grey Gargoyle? Or would he develop Grey Gargoyle's power? Does he take or superpowers just... or just material? 
We don't. It's so like I never thought he did that before. But this whole business with Thor and him stealing Thor's or not stealing his strength, but duplicating it. Mm-hmm. Absor- like Absorb suggests that he would take it, but he would never took it. He's not rogue, right? But like he was always talking about how because Thor's so strong, I can be th- strong too. And I never thought his powers worked that way, but I guess they do, or they do. They in the do 60s. now. Yeah, I always thought he just absorbed, turned into the material he was touching. Yeah, that's kind of what I've always imagined. And then, of course, in that first story, he didn't even have to be touching it. He just, like, you know. Yeah. And he just gets near it. Becomes giant the more he absorbs. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Maybe they narrow that down eventually. Maybe. Tim goes on to say Tales to Astonish 66. Hank and Jan have a cat. Yep, marriage is right around the corner. Any day now. Any day now. Kind of is. Kind of, it's a lot of corners. Yeah, yeah a lot of corners still. Tales to Astonish. Oh, I just read that one. The Wasp was doing some pretty great stuff in this issue. I could have done without her being captured again. But after that, she was great. I remember that. She was pretty cool uh, in that one. She okay. got captured, but she pretty much rescued herself. Okay, good. For the Hulk, I double-checked. Two issues ago, he was still using pronouns, I and me. Last issue, he still used me. But a bit of, they can't stop the Hulk. Mm-hmm. This issue is all third person. Hulk is mad. Hulk's friend is dead. Who shoot at Hulk? Hulk not going to pay a lot for this muffler. It was very <laughs> gradual, so we'll see if it's settled. But it sounds like they've finally reached primitive Hulk speech, which took a lot longer than I thought it would. Oh, but then they had Bruce Banner's brain take over the Hulk, and he went back, and now he's going back again. So. Yeah, 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 shake it up. It's like, ah, can't get enough of this. Until the Absorbing Man becomes the mascot for Bounty Paper Towels. <laughs> make mine make ours marble. The Bounty <laughs> Quicker Picker Upper. That'd be pretty great. Okay, so that was our last October. Um, no, right. there's one more. Oh, well, I don't have that one. It's very short. Okay. Dang. It's, oh, it's from uh, Grant Richter, who uh-huh. is not written in very often, but he should. He says, dang, I wish the Sentinel of Liberty podcast hadn't been on temporary hiatus when this one came out. Oh, he called ours the Sentinel of Liberty. And his he has that Captain America show, the Sentinel of Liberty podcast. Oh, which is, is he on the guy Twitter. who's now doing the Star Wars podcast? He might be. I don't know. I can't, I'm losing track of my Captain America podcast. Yeah, it's easy to do. Um, that was only October, but that was an hour. I was going to say, it's been an hour, and we usually like to maybe do this. Be done. Yeah, yeah. So we'll try to do another one soon. Maybe you only could do, a couple of weeks. Was there but. any uh, any uh, uh, iTunes or anything in October or no? Nope. I was nope. watching. Okay. Yeah, we've got some Facebook stuff in November and iTunes <laughs> coming down the road. But yeah, October we we did all of October. All right. Well, we got October done. That was that was it. So um, we will be back for another mailbag soon. A couple of weeks to a month. We'll do it. We'll do it soon. And. Um, yeah, there's another episode out there, so go listen to that. Yep. We don't have a cool sign-off. No, we don't. We just kind of say goodbye. Until Bobby Bermea falls in love with modern Spider-Man films. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.